You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I consider myself a person, not a thing. I feel my inner sense unity and lifelong continuity. But what makes a human being a person, not a thing? What is it that provides people with such unity and continuity? Memory? What about a brain-injured person without memory? The same body? The body is never the same. Over time, it's completely different. While most people assume that to be a person is to have a soul, most philosophers and some theologians assert that persons are all material that persons have no need and no room for anything non-physical. Is the person all material? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. I start in Boston with Daniel Dennett, a distinguished philosopher at Tufts University who rejects all manner of things non-physical. To Dan, everything that exists is material, persons included. Dan, you've talked about the illusion of how the self spins itself. No. What is this self I feel? (laughs) Well, the standard understanding is one self per body. But we can get some clues about what one self per body is if we look at cases where there's more than one. Okay. Now, if you can have one, why not two? Uh, or three or seven? And in fact, we have cases that purport to be this. It used to be called multiple personality disorder. Now it's called um, dissociative identity disorder. But these are human bodies, live human bodies, that seem to be inhabited by more than one self. Sometimes they don't even know that each other exists. Sometimes they don't, and they, they have different purposes. You begin to realize that what makes a self is a whole big collection of memories and projects and plans and likes and dislikes, a psychological profile. Well, now, what holds that all together? Right, that's the question. Nothing. Well, what holds it together are opponent processes in the brain, and they tend to abhor inconsistency. And so when inconsistency arises, something has to happen. Either you have to just jettison the thing that's inconsistent, in which case it may go to one of the other selves, or it may just get completely orphaned. 
well, if we could have two selves in a person, how about a half a self? <laughs> and here's sort of one center of narrative gravity sharing two bodies. Possible in principle? Uh, um, why not? <laughs> Define center of narrative gravity. It's, it's obviously some analogy to gravitational bodies yeah, in the good. physical world. The center of gravity of an object in physics is a mathematical point. It's not an atom. It's not a thing. It's an abstraction. But it's, it's the point such that all the attractive forces of, say, the, the Earth's gravitational force act through that point, or it's as if they did. Well, I think we do the same thing with human beings. Faced with a complicated living human being, we try to make everything cohere around a single point. That's the self, the center of narrative gravity. And usually it works. The exact uh, um, opposite of that is my conception of myself as a five-year-old child. I have that vision yeah. in my head. Yeah. Yet there's not a single, I would say, atom in my body today that's yep. the same as that person's. Yep. How do we maintain, through, through an ex exchange of every physical object yep. in our body, this real unity? Well, that's a good question, but the, the idea that the only thing that could do it is a little special, unchangeable pearl of self-stuff. It <laughs> seems like a fairly lame solution to the problem. How would it be different from the claim that there's two or three of those pearls in there. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. that's not a solution to the problem. That's just gift wrapping the problem and <laughs> pretending to solve it. So if we really want to solve the problem, we have to think about what, yeah. what does the continuity of, of selfhood consist in? The continuity of memory, the fact that we have first-person type memories, we recall events. And back before that, we just have to take people's word. It can't be memory that causes the unity of the person because you can have trauma that destroys all memory and, it, and you could look at the person and say, this is the same person, even if the person himself doesn't know the difference. So it's not, it can't be just memory. Well, but that's really just saying this is the person's body. <laughs> uh, that's, that's Jones's body, all right. But, but um, if, if, if the body answers, I don't know who you're talking about and <laughs> seems to be right, then that doesn't seem to be that Jones is still with us. But, but more to the point, I think I would say, what makes you so sure there has to be an answer to these questions? The conviction that there has to be a single right answer is, is a leftover from metaphysical absolutism, and we should just dismiss it. To Dan, personal identity is no mystery and nothing special. About persons, he says, there's no fact of the matter, and certainly no need for an ethereal soul. All is explained by states of the brain. There's no pearl in this oyster. I love listening to Dan, but still I can't suppress the feeling that persons are more than illusions. I'll explore the opposite view, and I know just the philosopher diametrically opposed to Dan. I head off to Notre Dame to meet Alvin Plantinga, whose ideas and insights re-energized Christian philosophy. It's no secret that Al defends the traditional religious doctrine that persons are immortal souls. Alvin, what 
from your philosophical and theological point of view, can, can you say about the, the nature of, of the person? I guess I take a sort of old-fashioned view on this. I mean, I know it's all the rage nowadays to be a materialist, to think that human beings are material objects, maybe their bodies, maybe their brains, but I don't believe that for a minute. I don't think that's right. If I were a material object, it seems to me I would have to be my body or maybe my brain, something like that, or some part of it. But it seems to me perfectly conceivable that I should exist when my body doesn't. So suppose we name my body B. Seems to me I could exist when B doesn't. So if it's possible that I exist when B doesn't exist, then I'm not identical with B because then I'll, there'll be something true of me that's not true of B, namely, possibly exists when B doesn't. That's true of me, but it's not true of B. And my evidence, my reason for thinking that it's possible is in part that I can easily imagine it. I can imagine my waking up in a beetle body, my other body I find out, the one I had, that was destroyed. Right, but, but this distinction between A and B is a possibility. It's not, it, it, it is an indeterminate fact. Well, but now, you're saying the, the possibility itself becomes a, a fact because it, it makes A and B different because there is this possibility. Yeah. So if is there that are, sufficiently strong? Well, if there are possibilities for A that are not possibilities for yes. B, then A and B are not the same thing. Is that not because you are then defining this putative difference based on a possibility? So well, it becomes it is, circular. There's nothing circular about it. <clears throat> it is based on a possibility. I mean, the basic idea is that if there is a possibility for me that isn't a possibility for my body, then I am not the very same thing as this other thing. <laughs> Why do you think today so many people who are theologians have moved more to a material, a physicalist approach to the person? Well, I think with theologians, quite often what happens is they are rejecting a kind of Platonism, rejecting the idea really that the body is totally inessential to a human person and doesn't really matter and the body is the prison house of the soul as Socrates said, you know, best to get rid of the dang thing, you know, forget the whole thing, get out of it if you can. Well, theologians, Christian theologians uh, find this objectionable and rightly so. They think God created us with a body. Uh, God must have thought it was important for us to have bodies. Bodies are good things. They're not bad things. Uh, we, don't, we shouldn't you know, do our best to get rid of them or anything like that. It's also true that many more philosophers and others, neuroscientists like you and others, <laughs> are materialists now than was the case, say, uh, 200 years ago. And I think that has to do with the fact that lots of really tight connections have been discovered between brain on the one hand and mental functioning on the other. And no doubt there are those tight connections, so then, and no doubt mental functioning depends in essential ways on, uh, on brain function. But dependence is one thing and identity is something totally different. I mean, also digestion uh, depends on brain functioning, but one doesn't say, well, really, digestion is, uh, is a brain function, not something separate. I would say the same thing should go with respect to mental functioning. Al is clear, the person is not all material. 
because there are things true of the person, even if only possibilities, that are not true of the person's body. Something is required to make the person a person. Something beyond the body, beyond the brain. Something non-material. But some Christian philosophers differ with Al. They take an all-material view of the person. One of the sharpest is Al's colleague at Notre Dame, Peter von Inwagen, an expert on how things, including persons, are put together. Peter, if I, as a person, am composed solely of atoms, and all of these atoms are exchanged with my environment over a period of time, what gives me, as a person, identity? That's the problem of identity across time, or personal identity across time. And indeed, if you believe, like Plato or Descartes, that we're immaterial things, it is easier to account. Uh, for our identity across time than if you believe, as I do, uh, that we are living animals, material things. Still, we're not just any old material things. Bits of matter don't uh, leave our systems or come to be parts of our system by being stuck on to us or being pulled off us, not very frequently. Anyway, we assimilate them. Uh, our systems uh, are designed to take in new matter and impress an already existent form on it. Uh, and I believe that that is the way animals persist uh, through time. I think then that animals are things that can change their parts and in fact can undergo and survive a complete replacement uh, of their parts. The parts in question being atoms, large organic molecules, things too small to see. Now, you believe in God and you believe that ultimately there will be a resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain a personal identity if the only identity we have are the changing of the parts of the physical body which ultimately then will will disintegrate you can't certainly God even God couldn't do it by just looking back in time seeing um, how the atoms were arranged in the dead person just before he died then arranging some atoms so as to make a perfect duplicate and then perhaps fixing up whatever uh, led the person uh, to be about to die. That wouldn't work because if he could do it with one person, he could do it with two people. It wouldn't help him to use the same matter because 10 years before, the person was made of completely different atoms. God wouldn't have to do this by ensuring some kind of continuity. Um, which certainly doesn't seem to be visibly present. But I would have to assume that uh, God's resources, since he's omnipotent or unlimited, and may th include things I don't understand. As for the person, Peter is a materialist. He finds no need for an immaterial substance to enable personal continuity. But if Christians reject immortal souls, how can they still believe in Christianity? Peter points to the resurrection of the person, which God, he says, will bring about in ways far beyond our understanding. 
Okay, I got the religious options for persons. Immortal soul and or resurrection. But stuff's missing. I need a non-religious philosopher of mind. I go to Berkeley to meet one of my favorites, John Searle. John deals bluntly with those who claim that the person is not all material. We meet in his home. John, I have spoken to several very distinguished philosophers who argue passionately that there really is a special substance that makes us a person, that the person is not all material. Essentially, it's a, a different kind of stuff. Well, uh, to begin with, the people I know who hold this sort of view hold it for some religious reason. They have a hidden agenda. Let's forget about the fact that they believe this because of a belief in God, and let's ask ourselves, do we have any reason to suppose that in addition to all of the phenomena of our conscious life, all the stuff that we're aware of, there is something else, the soul, in which all of this occurs. And I have to say, one, I have never seen any argument, any solid argument for the existence of the soul in addition to the obvious facts of a consciousness. It isn't just that there's no argument, but it's hard to make sense out of it. How would it fit in? to what we know about the physical world. See, I think the central problem in philosophy right now is to give an account of how what we know about the physical world, the world of, of uh, atomic physics and molecular biology and evolutionary biology, how that's consistent with what we know about ourselves as conscious, mindful, rational agents. And that's what I'm trying to do is make those consistent. I don't see how you can do that if you postulate the soul. The primary characteristic seems to be an analysis that when you do all the analysis, there's always something left over. Let's suppose we had a perfect science of the brain. We know everything there yeah. is to know about right, the brain. Right. We know how the brain causes all of our conscious states. We know how they're realized in the brain. We know how memory works, how vision works, how desire works, how desire works to produce intentions, to produce actions. We know how all of that goes on in the brain. Then I want to say there isn't anything left over. Or rather, there's one thing left over, and that's uh, the notion of our self as a self. But I think if I'm imagining a perfect science of the brain, I, I think that would also be accounted for. In fact, there is a lot of research on precisely this question on how the brain gives us a sense of ourselves as selves. I am claiming that a perfect science of the brain that's consistent with the view I call biological naturalism that says all of our conscious life is caused by brain processes and realized in the brain, that uh, that, that would give us an answer to all of the questions we that are meaningful questions, and you don't have anything left over which the hypothesis of the soul would be able to account for. John is unsparing. If I believe that anything non-material exists, I am denying science and paying the intellectual price for allowing an ethereal hope to fool me into harboring a false belief. I'd not be pleased to find myself bound to the material world. But I hate self-delusion more, so accept it I would.
Not so fast, David Chalmers might tell me. Dave's an Australian philosopher trained in science who wonders whether consciousness might be something special. Can Dave restore my hope for something of the person beyond the physical? Dave, I remember in the mid-1990s, I was really excited to read your material talking about your conversion, if you will, to dualism. It's sort of a view that I had, but felt very guilty about it because I was trained in brain science. But you made it acceptable for people who were scientists maybe to entertain dualism in some fashion. Do you still believe the way you did? I do, yeah, reluctantly. I was trained in mathematics and physics, and I want everything to be natural, reduced to the simplest possible set of laws and entities. And the materialistic view of the world is a beautiful, aesthetically appealing view of the world that promises to explain everything, physics to chemistry to biology to sociology. But there's this problem with consciousness. It just leaves a gap. Every physical theory ever devised leaves a gap to consciousness. So I banged my head against the wall for years trying to come up with a physically based theory of consciousness. It just seemed to me that on conservative scientific grounds, you know, you don't postulate entities without necessity, but when you need to, when the existing theory doesn't explain all the phenomena, you've got to expand the theory. And therefore I, I said, okay, we've got to add new fundamental properties to our view of the world, not just space, time, mass, charge, but consciousness. And it could still be completely compatible with science. You could still be naturalistic. You could have laws governing simple entities. And you could do science with it. You could have a science of consciousness. This needn't lead you to, to ghosts, to spirits, <laughs> to demons, or even to God. I would really love it if there's an immortal soul. Because, you know, I want to live forever. <laughs> and that's probably going to be the best way to do it, if I have an immortal soul. But as a scientist, I have to step back and say, what's the evidence? What's the reason to believe in this? And so far, I don't see any scientific evidence that forces one to believe in a soul. Yes, there's consciousness, but that's just another natural property of us as organisms in a natural world. Is your consciousness, let me try this word, immaterial? It's not physical. That doesn't need, mean, it, mean it needs to be located in some wholly different realm up in, your, up in heaven or in the land of ectoplasm <laughs> and so on. It may be attached to the same stuff right down here. It could be that even fundamental particles have consciousness as among the fundamental properties along with mass and charge. That's not to say they have souls. Maybe deep down at the very bottom level of physics, you know, what an electron really is, what an atom really is, its intrinsic nature is a bit of consciousness that we see from the outside. We see how these things relate to each other, how they relate to ourselves, and it looks like an objective structure. But their intrinsic nature actually involves a little bit of mind. So this is actually a sort of a monistic view, if you like. There's, one, there's thing, only one, one thing. thing in the world, consciousness at the fundamental level, and the way it gets hooked up to everything else, that's physics. It's a beautifully integrated <laughs> worldview, if you like. It's kind of crazy. It's reminiscent of the old Buddhist idea, this consciousness at the ground of all being, but it's integrated, it's natural, it's actually compatible with most of science. You don't need to change physics, you just need to say, okay, these physical entities have this intrinsic nature that physics doesn't tell us about, and that's what gives us consciousness. So it was there all along. It was there at the ground level of physics. What a gorgeous, beautiful way for the world to be. What makes you, you? Me, me. Cut the hope 
what's real. As I see it, five possibilities. One, materialism is correct. Only the physical is real. You are your brain. The person is all material. When your body dies, you die and never more shall be. Two, there are spiritual as well as material worlds, but the person is still all material. God exists and at some unknown time in some unknown way, God will resurrect the person. Three, persons have souls and souls are immortal. After death, souls do all sorts of things. Go to heaven, hell, purgatory, reincarnate, flow into cosmic consciousness. Four, consciousness is fundamental. Just like space and time, energy and mass. Consciousness is not material, but need not be supernatural. Five, consciousness is the essence of existence, the totality of reality. All else, all physics, is an expression of consciousness. Smart people hold each of these views. Only one, but which is closer to truth? To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.